Ballon, Kotwit, Glidden Point, Moonstone, Pemaquid, Duxbury, Malpeak, Wellfleet, Cummings Point, Flapjack Point, Wolf Beach, Eagle Rock, Rocky Mountain. Well, that's another show. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, Episode 76. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello folks, Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Surf over to my podcasts page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts, to see all the previous shows links. From that podcast page, click over to my support page, culinarylibertarian.com slash support, to find all the podcatcher icons, my affiliate banners, and links to my muffins e-cookbook. You can support the Culinary Libertarian Podcast by subscribing to Kiko's Cakes, Tom Wood's Liberty Classroom, or the McClenahan Academy from that support page. Those are my affiliate banners for those products, and when you purchase those subscriptions, you get brain food, or in the case of Kiko's, you get dessert, and I earn a commission at no cost to you. Support the show also with a click of the mouse on your favorite podcatcher and give the show a rating and a review. Those actions help more people find the show and we grow the audience. It's a solo episode today and the topic is oysters. I'm going to talk a little bit about them and then some recipes and comments about using and eating them. But to start the show, I want to read a few stanzas from a poem. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk of many things, of shoes and ships and sealing wax of cabbages and kings, and why the sea is boiling hot and whether pigs have wings. But wait a bit, the oysters cried before we have our chat, for some of us are out of breath and all of us are fat. No hurry, said the carpenter. They thanked him much for that. Then down to the last stanza. Oh, oysters, said the carpenter, you've had a pleasant run. Shall we be trotting home again? But answers came there none. And this was scarcely odd because they'd eaten every one. Now, of course, you'll recognize that, or perhaps not, as the walrus and the carpenter, part of the Alice in Wonderland uh, poem from Lewis Carroll. So that sort of sets the stage or sets the theme for eating fat, delicious oysters. If you are a raw oyster fan, you can appreciate the sentiment and lack of control. I don't eat raw oysters, but more on that later. At some point in any oyster cleaning session, one cook or another queried, who would you suppose was so hungry that this thing looked good? It's a good question, and of course one that cannot be answered, but at the same time, it's likely that the answer is a spontaneous moment pretty much anywhere there was brackish water. 
what seems safe to conclude is at any place at that brackish water was as likely as not for that brave soul to try what the animals clearly found easy and good food. What is known is that the Romans started cultivating oysters. In his book, The Encyclopedia of Fish, A.J. McLean notes that over 2,000 years ago, the Romans cultivated oysters from Brindisi, probably butchering that, near the boot of Italy. The Japanese were cultivating oysters in the 1620s. Of the Roman love for oysters, McLean writes, quote, The Romans had such a passion for oysters that they imported them from all over the Mediterranean and European coasts, end quote. If you are as curious as I am about life in ancient Rome, the transportation of oysters, the cultivation and harvest of oysters, the ability to build a ship, all of that without computers or electricity or cranes, well, that development gives you a moment of impressive reflection, or at least it certainly does for me. Okay, on to oysters. Oysters are filter feeders, which means they draw water in to itself through its gills, filters it for the vegetable one-celled plants called diatoms, and pushes out the rest of the water. Now, oysters in that little teeny shell have a complete digestive system, just like you do, with all the parts, just like you do. So, <laughs> not going to dwell on that, but, you know, it's, it's a living organism. Oysters can filter from 25 to 50 gallons of water in 24 hours. One interesting detail of the oyster's filtering abilities is it can filter food from the grotiest of places, a cesspool, for instance, and it will thrive. If you eat that oyster, yeah, you may become ill. A study in Cornwall, England, found oysters living in seawater contaminated with raw sewage did contain the Norwalk virus, which can cause illness and healthy people and possibly death for the elderly or the immune-suppressed people. The oysters were fine. The many, perhaps hundreds of variety of oysters come from five species. The Pacific oysters, sometimes called Japanese, Kumamoto oysters, European flat oysters, Atlantic oysters, and Olympia oysters. In the U.S., the Atlantic, Olympia, and Pacific are the most common. Oysters like to grow on things, walls or pilings or roots of mangrove trees or ropes, or maybe even, um, what do you call this, a pallets, put pallets in the water. They just, they want somewhere to remain stationary and just do their water filtering bit and grow. Uh, and there is a reproductive thing going on, and we'll mention that near the end of the show. They can get a bit crowded on those things they grow on, untended, which can cause them to be smaller oysters, and if they're farmed oysters, this can be a problem. So the the farmed oysters will probably be managed to make sure that we get a, that not we, that they get a good-sized oyster. Some oysters can live up to 50 years, and that's pretty amazing. 
But the average age seems to be about five years old for the oysters that we would uh, go to the store and buy and eat. What to look for? Despite the mostly unattractive outer shell, oysters do have a tell or two revealing their freshness. The shell must be fully closed. The adductor muscle is a very strong muscle, and if you've ever tried to open an oyster, you know this is true. Uh, and that keeps the shell closed when there is danger. You are the danger. When the oyster is or has started dying, the shell at the opposite end of the hinge will open a little bit. It will also do this in a, well, not an oyster aficionado, I mean, I'm not, you know, oyster biologist, but they will, shellfish will open their shells a little bit, partly, I guess, as a respiration, but also maybe they're just comfortable. So if you tap, on the oyster shell or move it, if it's a, it's a very alive sh oyster, it's going to seal very quickly. So that's a good sign. You want the oyster shell to close or the scallop or the clam or the mussel, whatever you've got, alive is good. If it doesn't do that, if it doesn't close when you touch it, uh, it's either dead or well on the way to dead and should be thrown away. Do not eat or cook dead shellfish. No bueno. Ideally, the oyster will be cleaned of seaweed or mud if it's wild caught, but that really, the wild oysters mostly, as far as I can tell, come from the Apalachicola Bay area of Florida. Uh, most of the rest of the oysters are farmed because they can control everything, but, you know, it was an ocean living thing, so things can happen. What almost certainly will not happen is you finding a nice, ring-worthy pearl. You might get a wee one. I never have. But the pearls from the... But the pearl oysters are not eating oysters. The other tell about the freshness is the smell. I didn't mean to make a rhyme. Fresh oysters just opened smell of the ocean. They have a briny sea smell. Dead oysters do not. Long dead oysters smell bad. I'll not spoil your meal with a description of that smell, but trust me, <laughs> it is not an aroma that says, consume me. If you've a cold or your sniffer is broken, the appearance will be more than enough to say this is not inviting. I want to share some tips on how to eat them, but before I do that, let's take a moment out for a word from my sponsor. All right, how to eat oysters. You know the old joke. Ask two people in a disagreement what happened, and you'll get three answers. Oyster eating isn't climate science. There is no consensus on allowable opinion. What you will find is an entrenched set of at least three factions. Chew, shoot, or never raw. I am in the never raw group. Love them fried. Oyster stew is dandy. Oysters Rockefeller, also dandy. But raw? Nope. Not gonna. The answer, I will reveal soon. For the raw groups, the difference is probably a combination of personal preferences and what was learned. The chewers adhere to the idea that the full flavor, and yes, oysters do have flavor, can only be fully appreciated with a few bites. 
being a chewer of the cooked version, I can attest to them having a load of flavor. Behind the brine is a rich flavor which fills the sinuses with the sea. Now, that borders on the either idiotic or poetic, but there's the, 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 the aromas and the flavors are really not something I can describe because I can't name what those things are. They, I can say, oh, yeah, that's it. That's an oyster. But I can't pinpoint and say, these are the things. So it, this is where uh, describing flavor or color or texture gets tricky. When my wife lived in Tallahassee, very near fresh oysters, she did eat them raw with a saltine cracker lemon juice, and a pint, I kid, of Tabasco sauce. For her, the sauce was a twofold ingredient. She liked the heat, but it also masked that sea flavor. I've known raw eaters to go au naturel all the way to the Waffle House hash brown stack smothered and covered. If it fit on an oyster, somebody ate it on the oyster. The shooters, that is, the one big gulp down the gullet, have their fans and adherents. I suppose there is something to be said for speed, and the brine at least is tasted. Being the cut guy, I can't really speak to this experience. Here's the reason I don't, and won't, eat them raw. There's a bug, a bacteria specifically called Vibrio vulnificus. It's a nasty little bugger, and according to most websites, rather rare, but it is the most common cause of seafood food poisoning. But it can be quite nasty with gastrointestinal pain and stuff coming out of both ends, if you follow me. I fancy not one moment of that, so I do not eat them raw. I have known no one who has been made sick with Vibrio bonificus from raw oysters. Purely from a personal preference standpoint, I prefer being well over eating raw oysters. Food pairings. Oysters and absinthe are a match made in heaven. And, oh, by the way, absinthe day is March 5th this year, 2020. That's Thursday. Three days from this podcast's release. You've got time. Nudge, nudge, hint, hint. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? The classic French presentation is raw on the half shell with fresh lemon halves and mignonette. It is mignonette, as Escoffier describes vinegar and fresh, coarsely ground black pepper. Popularly, it has become red wine vinegar, but Escoffier seems not to be specific. I have seen Mignonette to include a brunoise of shallot, uh, but red onion would do if you can't get shallots. Salt isn't really necessary because of the brine of the oyster. Perhaps the most famous cooked version is Oysters Rockefeller. To add to the fame and infamy, perhaps, the mystery about the original recipe remains a mystery. At least one thing is quite plain. It is not a creamed spinach dish. The What's Cooking America website writes in part, quote, Jules Alciatore, and I apologize to him if I butcher his name, is known as the pioneer 
in the art of cooking oysters, parenthesis, as they were rarely cooked before this time, close parenthesis. According to legend, it is said that a customer exclaimed with delight after eating this dish, Why, this is this richest Rockefeller! The dish was given the name Rockefeller because the green was the color of greenbacks, and the whole dish was so rich that he wanted a name that would signify the, quote, richest in the world, end quote. So from the piece, the first name to come to his mind was John D. Rockefeller, a name once connoted the absolute pinnacle of wealth and position. No other American dish has received so much praise and attention as Oysters Rockefeller, end quote. So even between two cookbooks, I found two slightly different recipes, but both have the same interesting distinction. The ingredients of absinthe, spinach or watercress, scallions, celery, parsley, or tarragon or shirl, or all three, either cooked with some onions in butter, or mashed into a paste with butter, then both are passed through a, a mesh screen. It is this strained stuff, which is spooned on top of the oyster, released from the from its shell, on the deep shell, resting on rock salt, on a pie pan, or whatever you got. The oyster, with the stuff on top, is then baked or broiled until the until the oyster is done and the garnish slightly browned. Notice the absence of cheese. It has been some while since I was at this restaurant, but I think we probably served them by cooking the ingredients and pureeing all that spinach stuff, yes, we use spinach, in a food processor until it was nice and smooth, and then we put that smoothed uh, spinach perno or absinthe, you know, herbed, um, mix on top of the oyster, then bake that. And let me tell you, those things flew out of the kitchen. A fried oyster can be a thing of beauty. I've tried all manner of breadings to include Jamaican-style spices and a flour base uh, to curries or plain, but always with a wheat flour or a corn and wheat flour uh, combination as the base. It took being in Tallahassee to find a brilliant and best trick. Not really a trick, but it's as simple as it gets. Cucumon, the you know soy sauce company, makes a tempura flower. Well, they make several different kinds of tempura flowers that you can buy. The one we were getting was, of course, well, maybe not, of course, was a food service pack. And we used to get that from the commercial food service supplier. That powder, which is wheat flour-based, has a leavener, has a few other ingredients, including uh, turmeric. And so just put the powder into a bowl, take the shucked oysters, place them in that powder, toss them a bit to coat, and then fry them. The brine from the oyster is more than enough to act as the juice, is the wet thing, to make the powder stick to the oyster which is what would happen with any of those other, um, you know, flour bases. So this is, you know, how any oyster would be breaded. But this, this specific product made the best crunchy crust. They really were just incredible. And the oyster does retain that lovely sea flavor. Now, this is so incredible. Let me tell you that 
<laughs> when before my wife was my wife, we worked in the same restaurant and I, she ordered fried oysters. We made them this way. And this has been, well, some years, 16, 17 years, and she still remembers that crunch. And every time we go out and they have fried oysters, it's, it's with the expectation that they're going to meet this memory and they never do. So if you can find out this, this commercial stuff and it's, I've seen it at, uh, there's a, at least on the West Coast, I've not, but other restaurant supply or restaurant, uh, food service stores may have, uh, the fruit service pack. It's a five pound bag. Uh, Kikaman brand is plain on the front and it's green as opposed to red. I don't really know what the red one does because we never used it. It wasn't that interested to find out. It wasn't broke. Don't fix it. If you find it. And so the Kikuma stuff in the box, it's probably close. Heck, it might even be the same thing. It's, it's worth a shot. Oh my gosh, so good. Now, we did serve them with a chili garlic sauce, uh, which is a nicer version of the cocktail sauce. And I will put a link to that recipe on today's show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 76. Now, finding fresh shucked oysters or even fresh shell oysters some distance from the coast can be a struggle. Now, there are a couple of ways this can be managed. Um, well, maybe really only one. Either um, some, some stores may buy them from their food service provider, which is probably, you know, the whatever the store's main source is. Someone has taken to freezing oysters, I don't know how they do this, they shuck them, but leave the shells intact, and then they freeze them. Now, um, a slight deviance off of the topic, The in the sushi world, it is common practice, and maybe even required practice, I don't know, to take that sushi-grade tuna or whatever you've got and freeze it so that the pathogens are frozen. I think it's, I think it's two weeks. Well, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. Um, but then it's thawed and then they use that raw fish for the sushi. The same idea is here with the oysters that the freezing for a predetermined amount of time is going to be sufficient to at least highly mitigate the risk of getting sick from an oyster with the caveat that, of course, the seafood is handled properly and correctly, which means keep it cold. You might be able to find that kind of an oyster in your grocery store in the middle of Kansas. I've never been in the middle of Kansas. Uh, I know that here in my part of Oregon, we can get shell oysters. They aren't altogether cheap, but they're possible, and we've done this. We've had fried oysters here at the house. If you live really close to the coast anywhere, it's going to be a whole lot easier. A restaurant, at least restaurants on the coast, can get gallons of shucked oysters called selects. And uh, so we would buy, for the week, anywhere from 5 to 10 gallons a week, depending on the business. But it was those already shucked oysters that we would use for the fried oysters. Here's the beauty part of getting a either a gallon or a pint of shucked oysters. It comes with oyster liqueur. That's the juice. It makes a spectacular base for an oyster soup or an oyster chowder. Uh, but if you can't get them, it doesn't really matter. Uh, 
If you find the shucked oysters or shell oysters uh, and you shuck them yourselves, it's possible you can get enough juice to do something with it. Uh, if nothing else, you make an oyster Bloody Mary. Other cooking procedures for oysters or other presentations. Uh, so uh, one of the other famous presentations is oysters with caviar. Uh, a cooking procedure it would include grilling, which always seemed a bit silly to me since the shell is impermeable. But I do suppose that some bit of the smoke does flavor the oyster once it starts to open. And maybe the uh, the steam from the brine liqueur hitting the either the what you got logs or briquettes or the grates, maybe that's flavoring. I have no idea. Uh, it always just seemed too stupid to try. Um, there is a popular version called the pickled oyster. And what was interesting to observe was in the Scoffier's La Guide Culinaire, under the heading for pickled oysters, is the entry that these are available commercially. So I smiled at that, curious that at his time in France, they did a better job than he did, or at least he couldn't improve on the commercially available pickled oyster at the time. Oysters are said to be safe to eat in the months which contain R in the word, while in some places, Florida for one, the heat is such that the water is so warm there runs a risk of pathogenic contamination because oysters don't live on the bottom of the ocean, they live on the sides. They want to grow them on stuff. But a far better reason, so that's a good reason, a far better reason to avoid eating oysters in late spring or summer is that that's the mating season. Now, there is some interesting reading about the process, and it reads like dumb luck that any oysters at all are recreated. I'm not going to go into that because, frankly, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, in colder areas, they might, might be safe to eat, but that still takes away from the next year's growth, and that seems as good a reason as any to abstain for a few months from oyster eating. I'll put a link to the What's Cooking America page, uh, which talked about the Oysters Rockefeller, because there's a little bit of interesting story about the restaurant in New Orleans. Uh, and it's kind of a fun little read. Plus, you can read through their procedure, which I've described loosely. But in case you want some more and give it a shot, you can try Oysters Rock for yourself at your house. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Oysters are famed for their aphrodisiac properties, which seem not to be confirmed or denied by the interwebs. The famed lovers in history are said to have consumed large quantities of oysters, but correlation is not causation. So, if you want to uh, be for the ladies like the Casanova, yes, no? Well, you might have as much success with a good swagger as with oysters. If you are an oyster farmer or an oyster eater, let's see some pictures in the Eating Liberty Facebook group. I'll add the link to join, it's free to join, on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 76. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert 
at mattbankert.com.